Mormon Discussions and its lineup of great podcasts is about helping Latter-day Saints like you tackle deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping these podcasts alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the programs on this podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber. Or making a donation at mormondiscussions.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussions, plural with an S on the end, dot org. Donate today and support programs like Mormon Discussion, Radio Free Mormon, Mormon Awakenings, Mormon History Podcast, Marriage on a Tightrope, and others. If these programs benefit you, and you want to see these continue, please consider making an annual donation starting today. All donations are tax-exempt inside the United States, and go towards keeping the podcast alive. Mormon, Mormon Discussions discussion and its lineup of great programs. Helping you navigate Mormonism one episode at a time. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real, and I'm grateful for the chance to sit with you today and to have this conversation. Today, I want to talk about the Word of Wisdom, but not the Word of Wisdom in terms of how it relates to Mormonism, but rather just to talk to you about my life and how the Word of Wisdom has played out. I've got one brother. He's four years younger than me. We're both athletes. We both played a lot of sports in our growing up years. And uh, I've got my mom and my dad, who are both happily married. And that was our family. And when I grew up as a little kid, we lived on a a little uh, dead-end street. It was maybe uh, a quarter of a mile long, maybe a half a mile long. Um, And it was just a beautiful, beautiful place to grow up. We lived at the dead end, about three houses down from the end, and at that dead end was a big field, and and across the field was the county fairgrounds. And so we had tons of experiences playing outside and playing sports in the field. My dad would mow the grass to create a baseball field, and, and then all the kids in the neighborhood, including, by the way, multiple cousins who lived on the street with me. I had an uncle who lived about four houses down. So I had my cousin Richie and my cousin Laura, who lived just, I mean, a stone's throw. I could literally throw a rock and hit their house. Uh, And I never did that, though. And I also had another cousin, another uh, aunt and uncle, who lived all the way down at the other end of this dead-end street. So us cousins were playing all the time. And again, we played sports. We played backyard baseball, backyard tackle football. Uh, we went to the, the park and played basketball. Uh, we just, every weekend, all of the kids in the neighborhood and some of the dads, including my uncle who lived four houses down and my father, would play sports. And it was so much fun. So much fun to get up on Sunday morning and to call all the other kids in the neighborhood and see who wanted to play that day and who was in town that day and who could go do something. In the wintertime, we'd watch the Cleveland Browns play football. And the moment the game ended, we jumped over a barbed wire fence into a, a cemetery that was right next uh, next to our street. And there was a big open spot of land that wasn't yet used by the cemetery, but owned by them. And we would uh, lay down uh, cloths as sidelines and end zones. And then for, for two, three hours, we would just play uh, backyard football. Uh, multiple games, picking teams, just a ton of fun. My childhood was amazing. There's not a thing I would trade. My mom and dad were the perfect parents for me and my brother. Uh, We've both said so so many times through our life. 
And uh, my dad played golf, and so I became a golfer uh, in high school, and that's the one sport I lettered in. I ended up tearing my ACL uh, three times during uh, before I graduated high school, two times in one knee and once in another. And so while I played football in seventh and eighth grade, I never played high school football because by then my knees were messed up. Uh, I tore one of my knees playing basketball and just wasn't really good at that sport. Uh, but baseball, I continued to play uh, summer leagues, made the all-star teams. Uh, and golf, I ended up taking up maybe uh, in eighth grade, playing a bunch with my dad and my cousins. And then by ninth grade, doing the same and then actually playing on the golf team in 10th grade. And then in my senior year, we find, I finally lettered uh, with the team. And being an athlete was a ton of fun. Again, just a wonderful childhood experience. Nothing that I would trade. But one of the things that I did do, because I lived on a street with a bunch of kids, and some of these kids were making good choices, and some of these kids were making bad choices, but we were always around each other, and we were always pushing each other to try new things, that by the age of 12, I actually started drinking. And uh, at 12 years old, uh, whenever we would uh, get together, me, my cousin, and our best friend, Carlos, we'd get together and Carlos had older brothers and they had the ability to get alcohol. And so they would go get a, a case of, of Bush Light bottles or cans. And for the three of us, there'd be eight of them a piece for us. And we'd often invite friends over and, and we'd play Euchre or we'd uh, have a party or just sit around and talk or we'd go to the hotels at night and try to sneak into the swimming pool area of the hotel and talk to girls. And just like, again, every... Every moment of growing up just seemed like it was fun and positive in terms of having a good time and, and growing up. And, a, and a, again, when you're in Mormonism, we paint this picture like, ooh, you're breaking the word of wisdom and there's all these bad things that come from that. And, and yes, you're 12 years old and you shouldn't be drinking. But, but we, again, looking back now with hindsight, we didn't we didn't get into any trouble we never got really caught we we never you know did anything seriously illegal although i did do a little bit of shoplifting uh later uh as i got older and and there's a lot of things in that way that i regret but but we never the the alcohol never got us into serious trouble so we were drinking and uh having a lot of fun and then around the age of 14 a couple of my friends started using marijuana or cannabis, I guess, is the proper term we, we use today. But at 14 years old, I remember feeling a lot of peer pressure to do it. Like, my friends were starting to use it. And, and if I didn't, I couldn't be around them. And, uh, and so at 14 years old, I started smoking pot as well. And again, it never got me into any serious trouble. My grades stayed pretty much the same. I was always kind of a C student. I don't say this to boast. I just do this to give my story. But I'm a smart guy. I've got an IQ around 135. I remember being in maybe fifth grade or so. And I don't remember what grade exactly it was. But sometime around then was when all the kids in our school did a IQ test. And it might have even been sooner than that, maybe third grade or something. But we did an IQ test, and I remember the teacher handing out the results, gave every kid the sheet of paper back to them. And I was sitting next to Andy Walker. 
And Andy was the kid. Everybody in the entire class knew, like, that's the smart kid. That's the kid that's brilliant and is going to go on to be a rocket scientist. And I'm sitting next to him, and they're handing out uh, these IQ test results. And they hand him his sheet back. And I, I want to know, like, am, am I anywhere near as smart as this kid? And so Andy gets his sheet back. And I don't remember exactly what the numbers were, but Andy's was in the, the 130s, uh, like 132 or 133. And then the teacher hands me uh, my sheet. And I look down at it, and mine is 135 or 136, somewhere in there. And I remember being like, wow, I'm smart. Like, you don't even know. You don't even comprehend that piece of who you are. And again, there's no, there's no taking credit for that, right? Like, in this world, we're born. And we're born with gifts and limitations as compared to the rest of the population. And it wasn't anything I did. It wasn't anything that I earned. It wasn't anything I worked for. And in fact, it's really the opposite, which is that once I understood I was smart and I could see in school that I could do nothing and I could still get by. And that's what happened. I, I was a C student for essentially my entire time in school. I did not apply myself. I didn't like to do homework. Who does, right? And I was smart enough that if I didn't do the homework, I'd still get a C in the class. Uh, I could just listen. I could put concepts together quicker. I could, uh, I could formulate ideas without having to put as much preparation in. And so I coasted. And when I started using drugs, I, nothing changed. My grades didn't go down. They didn't go up. They just stayed in that range of being a C student. I remember even uh, it was seventh or eighth grade. It was uh, geometry or algebra two or one of those classes. And I remember Mr. Piper was the teacher. I hadn't done any homework the entire year. I'd get to school that day and be like, oh, I got to turn this in. He's going to collect it today. That's the rumor from the class from before him. So I better hurry up and try to do some of it. And I just remember just not doing homework. Uh, and when I did it, it was rushed and, and last minute. I'm not, I wasn't the kid who sat home at night, sitting at the dining room table, working on his schoolwork. I went and had fun. I played video games and went out with my friends and, and did that. And chose to ignore my, my education. And so I'm in Mr. Piper's class. And I uh, here comes the midterm. And it was me and a kid uh, by the last name of Barnum. That when the midterm results came back, we were the only two kids in the class to score uh, a 90-something percent. And I had, I think, a 95. And Barnum had a 98 and so that was just the, that was the way in which I lived out uh, my school years and, and the use of drugs didn't affect any of that. And I know for some kids it does. I know for some kids it gives them this idea like, oh, I'll just do this and not really worry about school. Well, I didn't worry about school anyway, and it didn't affect me in that way. So at 14 years old, I started using cannabis. And at some point along the way, I used acid twice. Uh, the first one didn't do anything. The first time I used it, it didn't do a single thing. And so I don't know if it was not what it was claimed to be, if it was just a fake whatever, but this little piece of paper. 
The second time I took it, I thought, ah, oh, I didn't do anything last time. It's not going to do anything this time. And I took it. And me and my cousin took it. And then we drove from my little town of Sandusky, which is the bigger city in the area we lived in, but not big at all compared to Cleveland or other big cities. We drove, me and my cousin drove from Sandusky out to Castalia, about a 20-minute drive from the city into the country. Castalia is a, a rural town. And by the time we pull into the driveway of his house, I am messed up. Sound is different. What I'm seeing is different. Everything is visually changed. And I go into uh, my cousin's house and the two of us sit down on his couch and we are messed up in the head from doing this. And we're just teenagers. We don't even understand consciousness or any of what what comes out of, of, of using these kinds of substances in terms of getting inside your head. And we sit on the couch and we turn on MTV and we're watching these videos. And I'm 40 years old. And so if you can go back uh, 25 years, 26 years, 24 years, and remember what kind of videos were on MTV, there were a lot of these rock and roll videos with like colors moving in and out and different kinds of like shapes or kaleidoscope type stuff sometimes coming into play in these videos. And there's this one video, and I don't remember what it was, but in the video was a lot of this kind of color action going on. And I remember the colors bouncing like out of the TV, like coming out of the TV streaming and then bouncing off the walls. And so I would see this stream of red come out of the television, hit the wall, bounce off and go somewhere else. And suddenly in one of these videos, there was this snake and the snake was like looking at the screen and he started to like move towards the screen. And as he did, this snake came out of the television and got like right in my face. And I knew it wasn't real, but I still put my foot up to try and push it away. I remember my, my uncle coming into the room and trying to have a conversation with the two of us. And I had, I had no clue what he was saying. Like what he was saying didn't make sense to me. I, I thought I heard him saying different things. And so when, when he finally got done talking to us and he left the room, I, I asked my cousin, I said, I, I'm not sure what he said, and I think he might have said this. Is that is that what happened? And uh, it wasn't. He said, no, 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 no. What he said was, what he was saying was this, and it wasn't anything close to what I said. And after my cousin informed me, what he was talking about made much more sense. And so, uh, you know, 12 alcohol, 14 cannabis. By the time I'm 16 years old, I start selling pot to kids at school. And I also start selling pot to employees that I worked with. And so I could sense, I could sense like I'm doing these things and they don't, they're not going to contribute to me as an adult. In other words, I, I, there was a moment in time where I did some reflection and I realized like, Hey, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. And the way in which I'm living my life around these substances, and I come from a family where there are lots of alcoholics. And, and I don't mean that all bad. It's not like, hey, every one of these guys is beating their wife and swearing at their kids and not showing up for work. But rather, they, they like their alcohol and they drink a lot of it. And you could see that it impacted them in sometimes small ways and in sometimes big ways. 
But I sensed early on, and no offense to any of them, I love my family, but I sensed early on, like, I wanted to live a different kind of life. I wanted to be a productive parent. I wanted to be productive, uh, a productive father. And I foresaw that those things would limit me in doing that. And so I, I recognized, like, hey, I'm going to do this right now, but there's going to come a point where uh, when I am an adult and I have a regular life with a, with a marriage and children and a job, but I don't want to do things this way. And then suddenly I meet a girl and I end up marrying her. But, but at the time I meet a girl and she introduces me to her religion, Mormonism. And as I get to know Mormonism, I fall in love. Like I fall in love. It was love at first sight. I loved the story. I love the story. This young boy going into a grove of trees and praying about which church to join and Jesus and God the Father showing up. I didn't know the messiness at this point. I just was naive, and the story seemed so incredible, and I fell in love. And as Mormonism requested of me that if I was to join, I would have to be clean in its eyes in terms of using these substances, it was, it was the force that my life needed to make those changes. In other words, had Mormonism not come along, as much as I wanted to be a good father and a good husband, and that I needed to not use those things in order to do that, I was also aware in my head that this is what our family always has done and always will do, and hence I'll probably fall into doing these things too. And so Mormonism gave me this way to have a clean break. And so for decades, I, I lived the rules of Mormonism never never looking to those substances. Uh, and I, I did the Mormon thing the Mormon way. Now, if I go back in time to being young again, one of the other things that my mom and my dad, specifically my dad, my mom and my dad both drank iced tea, sweet tea. My dad would make it. I've said this a lot of times early on in the podcast when I talked about my conversion in various places. But my dad would make sweet tea. He'd get a, a pot of water boiling He'd put 10 or 12 tea bags in the water and, and he would do this at night. And then he would, uh, when the water was done, you know, when it was boiling for a few minutes, he would turn the water off, put a lid on the pot, and then he'd go to bed for the night. And when he got up in the morning, he would, uh, you know, drain the, the water into a pitcher and obviously filter out the bags. And then he would add multiple scoops of sugar, multiple cups of sugar and then put it in the fridge. And when I got home that day from school, there would be this ice cold sweet tea, delicious sweet tea. And I loved sweet tea. And even as I was investigating the LDS church, I would, uh, put, I would take a gulp of this sweet tea into my mouth and I would swish it around just to get, a, get the taste again and then spit it out because I'm going to be a Mormon and I can't drink sweet tea. My dad also drinks coffee every morning. Got to have his cup of coffee. And people are like, yeah, look at that. He's a slave to his coffee. No, it, it wasn't like that. And that's the way we tell it. That's the way we Mormons do this thing is we say, look at him. He's a slave to his coffee. No, he wasn't a slave to his coffee. It was an enjoyable part of his morning. And I remember drinking coffee a little bit as I was growing up. 
you know, I'd be 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, spend the night at my cousin's house, and my uncle would get a pot of coffee going in the morning. Then I'd pour me a glass and, and add some sugar and add some cream. Because I, I saw my dad do it, and I wanted to be like my dad. And, and I noticed the energy it would give. I remember one morning in particular when it was one of the first times I had drank a cup of coffee. I'm at my uncle's house, and I make a cup, and I drink it. My cousin's still in bed sleeping. And all of a sudden, I've got this peak of energy. And so I go outside, and I start shooting baskets, and I'm working up a sweat and running all over the driveway. Felt like, man, I've got enough energy to go, the, go for miles. And again, as I join Mormonism, I give up drinking coffee. And time goes by, decades go by. And, and now you begin to see my journey as I deconstruct Mormonism, as I sense how messy it is, as I begin to have conversations with people. And then we come to seven, eight months ago when I am excommunicated from the LDS church. And even before that, maybe, maybe a, a year earlier, when I and my wife and our children finally collectively say, like, we're done. We're not going to go to this thing anymore. We don't believe it. It's, it only causes damage and hurt, and it takes up three hours of our day. Those all seem like good reasons to distance ourselves, and collectively, it made really big sense to just let it go. And that was our decision, and we did. And as we let go of Mormonism, both activity in it as well as belief in it, as soon as I was excommunicated, my wife and my two daughters uh, resigned using Quit Mormon. For those who have not heard of that, I think it's quitmormon.com. And you can go on there and you can essentially resign from the church through a lawyer. But now you've got to provide a copy of your driver's license and you have to have a, a paper notarized. So it's not an easy thing. You can just take a piece of paper and, and say, I want to resign from the church. Here's my, you know, comp, here's my record number. Here's my membership number. And sign it and you can hand it to a bishop of your local ward and within 24 to 48 hours, he can submit that paperwork online through the uh, part of the system he has access to, and uh, and you'll get a notification back that you're you're out. But if you want to avoid having to talk to a bishop or having that conversation or give that to him, you can work through Quit Mormon. As I left the church, both activity as well as belief, the word of wisdom now opens itself back up as something to be reconsidered. And so immediately the thing I go back to is coffee. Like, why not? Coffee isn't this bad thing. And so in our house, uh, I've got sweet tea that me and my son both like, and I drink coffee. And my two girls at times have, have drank some coffee here or there. They like to spruce it up with a lot of sweeteners and creams. I like mine a little more plain, but, but not completely plain. I, I and I'll get into that here in a moment. I started off by just going to the Maverick. Maverick is a gas station chain in Utah. They're all over down here in southern Utah. And I started off by going to the Maverick and just getting, uh, you know, a 20-ounce cup of hot coffee, adding a little bit of flavored cream to it, and heading off to my workday. And I could tell a significant difference by doing that. Like, I was more awake. And it's not just the energy, Drinking coffee was also pleasurable. I can remember a million times from the last uh, couple of years, and I'm exaggerating, obviously, but I can remember hundreds of times of sitting and having a sip and in the midst of the sip going like, wow, 
I'm really enjoying this. This is a pleasurable thing in the morning. And, and what I'm thinking about this morning as I'm having this conversation with you is that all of us Mormons, when we exit Mormonism and Mormonism's rules and boundaries, no longer are this imposed directive from an invisible being who lives on a planet near a star named Kolob. Suddenly, the word of wisdom has to be reconsidered, not in terms of right and wrong, but healthy and unhealthy, responsible and irresponsible. And so as I dive back into the word of wisdom to say like, hey, what do I think now that there aren't these, these rules, that these rules now become arbitrary? And as I'm drinking coffee, I'm going like, this is a pleasurable experience. This is delicious. It's an enjoyable part of my morning. And I had the experience of being in a family that used these things. I had the experience of using them myself. And so I'm not coming to it brand new, but man, I am overwhelmed with awe at those of you who have stepped away from Mormonism and have had to, for the very first time, look into the Word of Wisdom with, with just brand new eyes and say like, okay, what do I do with this? How do I live out my life now? And there, there are tons of things that could be debated, and, and maybe at some point we will. But whether it's coffee or tea, whether it's tobacco, whether it's alcohol, whether it's psychedelic substances like mushrooms and LSD, whether it's cannabis, whatever those things are, you're having to negotiate and think about and make decisions for the very first time in your life. I see on ex-Mormon Reddit so many former Latter-day Saints with their, with their coffees in hand. And again, I no longer hold the view like, oh, they're a slave to that. No, no. Coffee is a beautiful part of my morning. A beautiful part. And I've had to think about all those other things as well. And again, I think that'll be an episode for another day. But I wanted to focus today on coffee, and I wanted to tell you kind of what my experience was. I think for Latter-day Saints, it becomes really, former Latter-day Saints, it becomes really difficult to say, like, how do I do this? Do I want this? Do I like this? So let's start off with a few thoughts. If you decide to try coffee, and, and you are all welcome to speak to this by leaving messages, uh, you know, making comments at the website. I'd love to hear your experience. I'd love to hear your experience and let me know if I'm okay sharing your experience. I, 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 if not, I'll do it anonymously. If so, I'll put your name attached to it. But share your experience so that others can kind of gain insight from this. But as you dive into coffee for the very first time, here's what I learned as a 38, 39, 40-year-old beginning to kind of think about these things again. At some point, I decide like, oh, Mormonism isn't true. There's no reason not to partake of something that is good for you. And I did my research. And again, I know there's always mixed studies out there. And there's always a new science coming out saying this is good, and then it's bad, and then it's good, and then it's bad. But generally speaking, it seems like the data points to coffee and tea being good for you. Now, that can 
go the other direction, especially when you start saying like, hey, I'm going to add, you know, 17 cups of creamer to my one cup of coffee, three cups of sugar. And, you know, when we do that, yeah, like it probably isn't as good for us and maybe not good at all for us. But for me, as I'm, as I'm beginning to dive into coffee again on this half of life, here's what I notice. Originally, the taste isn't that good. I expected it to taste like what I remembered it tasting like as a kid. It didn't. It tasted like dirt or something earthy. And it didn't have the flavors I was expecting it to have that for me felt like it was delicious. But I remembered it as a kid being delicious. And so I stuck with it. The other thing I noticed early on is that as, it, as you get used to it, as you take time to acclimate to the coffee, it messes up your system. What I mean by that is when you begin drinking coffee for the first time, you are probably not going to have as much control of when you use the restroom. It is going to tell your body that it's time to go and it's time to go now. And, and that also was uh, annoying in the beginning. But I was, in the beginning, so frustrated with what Mormonism had taken away from me that I was going to push through this early experience with coffee. And so I continued to drink. And it probably took me, honestly, maybe a couple of months. I've heard other people say that it only took them a couple of weeks. I've heard other people say they tried it for months and they just couldn't get used to it and like it. And they gave up on it. But I stuck with it. And after a couple of months, my system adjusted. It no longer, it no longer bothers my digestive system the way it did. And over time, I have grown to appreciate the taste greatly. And so, again, at first I was going to the Maverick, and that's where I was getting my coffee. And then I thought, like, why would I do that? Why wouldn't I just make my own? And so the next thing I did was get a Keurig. And so I've got a Keurig sitting on my kitchen counter. And I used that for about a year. And uh, I thought like, okay, that works, but I don't, I don't like how finicky the machine is. I don't like how it sometimes works really well and sometimes it doesn't. And I seem to be wasting some of these Keurig cups. And as time goes on, I'm also realizing like there's certain flavors I really like and I, I tended to kind of like the gas station better. So I thought, okay, that's not working. This Keurig machine, I didn't enjoy it as much. And, and again, everybody's welcome to their own path here. I'm only sharing my experience, and my experience is going to be different and similar in various ways. Eventually, I stop using the Keurig, and I decide, like, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go and just buy iced coffee from the store. I just try it one day. And I don't remember the exact brand name. I think it's Happy Delight, something along those lines. And it's at Walmart, and it's a, it's a sweetened coffee, iced coffee, by the way. So I start drinking iced coffee and I'm like, you know what? It's hot in Southern Utah. The winters, it snows maybe once or twice and it doesn't stick. The summers are 115 degrees. Like iced coffee is the better way to go. If I lived in North Dakota, hot coffee would be the way to go. But I live in Southern Utah. So if you live in Vegas or Southern Utah, Arizona, you get it. Iced coffee is the way to go. And so I start buying iced coffee from Walmart and I try the iced coffee. And uh, it's good. It's good. Like super sweet, but man, I was liking it. And, but at some point, like I realized like that's way sweeter than I want it to be. 
So then I start buying a mix. I would get this really sweet mixed coffee, this, again, Happy Delight or Morning Delight or whatever it was, and it would come in French vanilla, mocha, or caramel macchiato. And I would get those, and then I would just get stoked, like lightly sweetened coffee, almost plain. And then I would mix these two half and half, and I went that way for months and months, and it was so good so good delicious and and i recommend that by the way if, if you're going to start if you're going to start doing this stuff let me recommend the initial kind of entry poured into this you, you can try black coffee if you love it great you've already won you've already won the lottery you've got the taste buds that everybody wants but if that doesn't taste good my suggestion is to start with uh, half of the really lightly sweetened, it's the red label stoked iced coffee. And then the, maybe the French vanilla or the mocha uh, morning delight sweetened coffee. And try that for a bit and see if you like that. And I did that for a while. It was delicious, man. So good. I can just, I have a, this giant, you know, 20 something ounce uh, Bubba cup. And I started off with a Yeti, but my Yeti, I, I, I went to a restaurant and I left it there never got it back called the next day and it was gone yeti is incredible by the way yeti keeps your drink cold for the entire day you could put a cold drink in a yeti and it stays cold the entire day when when that was gone rather than order another yeti because they are expensive i went to walmart and got their version which is called the bubba and i got this you know 20 something ounce bubba container which i can put my iced coffee in and all day long my iced coffee will stay cold and I'll drink, a, I'll drink about half of it in the morning, and then I'll just sip on it uh, through, through the, the early afternoon hours, uh, just a little past lunch, until it's gone. And so that's my recommendation kind of as an entry port into coffee. But at some point, you're going to decide that you've become somewhat of a coffee snob, and you want fresher coffee. What you're getting at the store is not fresh. What you're getting at the store is is not the best stuff you can get. And so I thought, you know, I could just get a, a, a coffee maker, just a regular coffee maker. You know, you put the filter down and put the grounds in from Maxwell House and put the, the, you know, the glass pot underneath and let it seep through. And now you've got some hot coffee. But I wanted iced coffee. And so what I did was I looked into what it would take to make my own iced coffee. And I discover this process called cold brew. And the way cold brew works is I bought uh, a grinder. I started off with a hand grinder. So I would sit there for like an hour almost grinding beans by hand. And by the time you're done, man, your arm is sore, your hand's sore. So eventually I ended up getting an electric grinder. And I'll, I'll share pictures of all of this stuff with this episode. But the way it would work, and this electric grinder just is incredible, man. I wish I would have bought it to begin with. So I'll put, you know, a couple cups of beans into my electric grinder and it grinds these in 45 seconds. Whereas I was spending an hour, this thing knocks it out in under a minute. I take these grounds and then I put them into a pitcher, something like a one gallon pitcher, plastic pitcher, plastic lid on top, put the grounds in there. And then fill up the pitcher with cold filtered water. We've got an ice maker, a, a water cooler at our house. We have an ice maker too, um, like the rest of America. 
But I've got a a ice or a water cooler in our kitchen. That's how we deliver clean drinking water to our family. And uh, fill this pitcher up with this ice cold water with the coffee grounds in it and stir it all up. Put the lid on top and I stick it in the refrigerator. I leave it in the refrigerator for about 12 hours. I do it at night usually. I usually try to make it around 7, 7.30 at night. And then when I get up at 7, 7.30 in the morning, what I do is I take this pitcher that's been sitting all night long with this cold, ice-filtered water, ice-cold filtered water, and the coffee grounds that were fresh. Like I put these beans, I get these beans, and I grind them up. And now these beans are these grounds that were freshly ground the night before. And this water, they've, they've done their thing. And now there's a pitcher of coffee. And I've got this glass uh, one-gallon pitcher that has the little uh, knob at the bottom that you push the knob to one side and it opens up the valve, kind of like a spigot uh, at, on the outside of your house for where your water comes out to, to hook your hose up to to do gardening. There's a little tiny mini spigot on this one-gallon glass container. And I've got these cloth filters made specifically for cold brew. And I attach it to the top of this one-gallon glass pitcher. And then I take my plastic pitcher of grounds and water that's, that's now coffee, and I filter this water through those, that filter. And the grounds obviously stay in the filter, and the coffee goes into the gallon pail. The, the gallon glass big giant jar. It's like a giant mason jar. And then I've got cold brew for the next week or so. Now here's where it, it takes a little twist. If you're going to order your own coffee beans, again, they're going to be much fresher. The specialty coffee companies are going to have much fresher beans than what you find at the grocery store. At the grocery store, those beans have been sitting for a long time. And if you get coffee grounds like Maxwell House, you're going to end up with a really bland coffee because the moment that those beans are exposed to uh, the air, they begin to depreciate. The moment those beans are ground up, they begin to depreciate even faster in terms of quality. So the coffee you're drinking with Maxwell House is blah. And if you want to spice up your life, you have to start getting your own beans from a specialty coffee shop, local or otherwise, and grinding up your own beans. Now, I've tried a couple of companies, and I've settled on one, and I'm going to share that with you today. So when you go to the website and you find this episode in the show notes, I'm going to list every one of the tools that I use so that you can jump right to, you can skip all of the failed experiments. It's like, it's like uh, Thomas Edison trying to make a light bulb and how many times I've tried to do this thing the right way and I finally have it figured out. And so now I'm going to help you see all the mistakes I've made in the past and we're just going to skip to how the light bulb works And so you can just start making working light bulbs. I will give you a link to the grinder that I use. I love it. I'll give you a link to the filters I use. I love it. I'll give you a link to the the glass jar that I ordered. I love it. Um, And now we need to talk about which coffee I use. And because I think for for those who are leaving Mormonism, you, a lot of you, 
are like, hey, I want to try coffee. And, and trying coffee can be a disaster. You can walk away going like, wow, that was horrible. I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm never going to do that again. And I'm just telling you, you're missing out on a really incredible gift that the universe has given you if you give up that easily. And so I'm hoping that you'll persist. For those of you who haven't tried it at all yet, again, we'll, we'll give you here what to do. And then I'm going to suggest a mixture at the end to kind of give you a little entry in until your taste buds get used to it and find the mixture I give you to be too sweet. So having tried multiple companies of fresh beans, what I ended up finding was a local company here in Utah created by a gentleman in his basement in American Fork, Utah. Let me read the about. And I've I've spoken to him several times and I've uh, intimated to him that I wanted to begin moving in directions that distance myself from Mormonism. And one of the things I think is crucial to do is to help those who are stepping away from Mormonism figure out how to enjoy better this side of life. And one of those things is coffee. Here is his about page. The company's name is Red Roca Coffee, by the way. Red Roca Coffee was started in our basement in American Fork with the vision of empowering Utahns with premium specialty coffee. We noticed that there really aren't a lot of specialty coffee options, especially if you live in Utah Valley. So we hope to give you a convenient choice. We started Red Roca Coffee to facilitate people being free to be bold and to share their truth. It's with this in mind that we have local Utah designers and artists create their own designs for our coffee bags. Each one has a unique message that we feel will resonate with many Utahns. In addition to our online retail bags, we are in the process of acquiring a physical location where we will be able to do a full-service coffee bar. To us, coffee is a symbol of being bold and authentic. The Red Roca brand is a tribute to the bold people and topography of Utah that aren't afraid to be what they are. Be bold, be you. This was created by a gentleman in the basement of his home in American Fork. And it captures the the experience of those of us who have stepped away from Mormonism and are trying to live our lives more authentically. Uh, Some of the, the coffees that he has, for instance, there's one titled Rusty's Vitamins. There's one called Darwin's Selection. There's one titled Feminist. One titled For the Heathens, another titled Poetic Science, another one titled Voyager. In other words, the different flavors of coffee bean are deeply important to your coffee experience. And you can play around with these. I've tried a couple of these and they are delicious. I think it's fun. I think it's fun to have this this Utah former Mormon who is making a product that is intended in some degree to give us who have stepped away from this thing a voice. And so I hope you'll check out redrocacoffee.com. Because it's a local company, because this local business owner supports Mormon discussion and supports them by here's what he's going to do. If any of you order coffee from him, he is going to make a donation to Mormon discussion. 
and uh, a, a portion of the proceeds of the coffee sold. He's also going to give you a discount to reward you for coming on board and trying out the product. I've tried it. It's fantastic. And so I want to make sure that you and your experience of making your own coffee and joining us coffee snobs and making your own hot coffee, your own cold brew, that you have access to a ton of options. If you go to redrocacoffee.com and you place an order for coffee beans, and you can pick any of the flavors, pick on any of them. For instance, if you choose Darwin's selection, you'll get notes of like, this is a sweeter, juicier flavor. It comes from Nicaragua. He tells you what farm it came from, whether it's a medium roast or a light roast or a dark roast. Tells you what process this was produced. So there's several things that happen. One is that he is going to make a donation to Mormon Discussion Podcast. The coffee's fantastic. You're already going to like it. But by buying it, you're also going to get a 10% discount purchasing it. And there's going to be a donation made from the proceeds to Mormon Discussion as well to support the podcast. The other thing that happens is you'll notice these flavors are named artistically. There's a lot of play with deconstructing unhealthy religious systems. There are some that particularly have to do with Mormonism. I think some of these are really uh, fun. For instance, Rusty's Vitamins. And so the other thing that happens is that he also gives a portion of his proceeds back to these artists who help create these designed, uh, these artistically designed uh, pouches that these fresh coffee beans come in. And when you open this bag, you're going to want to use it, you know, relatively quickly. You don't want to have 10 bags of these open and mixing flavors back and forth or alternating between flavors back and forth because you want the fresher these beans are, the better. And these are fresh beans that are being sent to you. When you place your order, use the code AWAKE, A-W-A-K-E. This code will give you a 10% discount. Again, another portion will be donated to Mormon Discussion, as well as the artist who designed these pouches. They get a portion sent back to them. And any purchase over $30, you get free shipping. A local Utah guy, a guy who's deconstructed Mormonism with the rest of us, and a guy who understands that when we step away, we want to take our lives back. And one of the ways I've done it is by drinking coffee and specifically making my own cold brew. I love it. I love my life now. I love it. Leaving Mormonism, Mormonism gave me some things. And I'll always have gratitude for it for doing that. But stepping away from Mormonism has been nothing but awesome for me and my wife, for our kids, and for our friends. Will you consider Red Roca Coffee as the place you get your coffee beans? You're supporting a local post-Mormon. You're supporting a local family-owned business. You're supporting local artisans. And you're supporting Mormon Discussion Podcast. Again, the code is AWAKE, A-W-A-K-E. You get a 10% discount too, so you're also doing yourself a favor. And every purchase over $30, you get free shipping. Check out the resources in the podcast notes. You'll have my entire setup there so that you know what you're doing. And I'll include a video so that you can also see the way in which it's made, the process at work. 
I'd love to hear your experience. Are you already drinking coffee? Are you just going to the Maverick? Are you just using Maxwell House? Are you using your Keurig? Are you frustrated with it working sometimes and sometimes it doesn't? The way I'm doing it now, it, it is flawless. And not only that, it is delicious. RedRocaCoffee.com. I can't wait to hear your experience with how you're living your post-Mormon life. This is Bill Real, Mormon Discussion Podcast. Be sure when you start off to mix that cold brew of Red Roca, maybe with a half and half of that morning delight. But I hope eventually you move to just drinking this, this cold brew on its own, maybe with a little bit of cream and a little bit of sugar. And I hope it's as much a part of your gorgeous, beautiful, happy post-Mormon life as much as it is of mine. Until next time, see you later. Taking out my issues never healed